Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down, and listen, I'm a little grumpy on this episode, I'm just going to tell you from the beginning, and I admit it, so you are getting grumpy Tom and pleasant Nicholas Alexander on this particular episode, but we talk about um, money supply, M2, economics, I still can't say it, the economy and economics, economics, there it is, economics, the economy, we talk about all this stuff, real estate prices, and we try to kind of go to a level deeper than just the headlines and discuss really what's happening and why is it happening. So it's kind of a broad ranging talk where we're talking about what we're seeing out there in the world and how a lot of it is the second order effect of a money system. And it's kind of accelerating. And some of the symptoms of this structural economic problem is now showing up to a level that's getting a little bit I was going to say disturbing, maybe more interesting. I'm not sure how to really share that, but uh, it's, it's, it's worthy of all of our attentions. Let's, let's put it that it's worthy to pay attention to what is going on. If you're able to, and able to understand some of these concepts, we think it's super valuable. So that's what we're discussing on this particular episode. And if you are listening to this and you hear us talking about real estate as an asset and rental properties, and that's something that you think you want to add into your life and you're not sure how about once a month, we do an introductory class. It's about an hour. And then afterwards, Nick and I stick around and handle all the questions, the Q and a that come in so live if you have any questions on that stuff and the information that we're sharing is how would you get started investing in real estate in the greater toronto golden horseshoe southern ontario area our whole team here works this whole area here and we work with hundreds and have worked with thousands and thousands of investors now on hundreds and of millions and billions of dollars it's been actually multiple billions of dollars in investment real estate now and we try to share all the lessons that we've learned in this introductory class and kind of lay out a simple way to get started and we stick around afterwards and handle all your questions that would come in so if you want to join in on that class, you can go to CanadianRealEstateTraining.com and sign up and you'll get the date for the next one and the Zoom link to, to join in the whole bit. So that's at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, Nicholas Carazza, attempt number two. Can you hear me now? Now I can. Now we are live then with my brother, Nicholas Kradza and Nick, your brother's grumpy. Uh, it's Nicholas Alexander. Nicholas Alexander Kradza. Nick, your brother, I'm grumpy today, so uh, I'm just going to just prepare you because... Uh, it's one of those six days of the week. <laughs> it's one of those six days of the week. Yes. My eyes are itchy. I don't know if there's something going allergies or what's happening, but uh, um, I'm just going to dive right into it. I think in Canada right now, and I guess I'd be interested in your take on this is that um, there's just a lot of talk about the over investment in real estate and has a country how we lack productivity growth, growth, we lack innovation. And a lot of that comes from the lack of investment in businesses. Mm -hmm. And I guess the reason that this kind of makes me laugh is that it's not that it's not true. It is 100% true that we should have in more investment in business here. The reason is, is because this is a second order effect of capital 
that gets devalued so quickly that it prevents entrepreneurs from saving capital to then go and take that capital and risk it in a new business venture. And so when you have a situation when there's inflation as high as it is, an entrepreneur like you, myself, anyone else, they're not going to take two or three years to stockpile cat. Like capitalism is basically the formation of capital. Then you take that capital and you risk it in the market in some new business venture of some sort, and then you get a return. And if you guessed correctly or invested correctly or created something of value, you get a return on your money. But nobody in this world thinks of saving money anymore. It's just access to credit. No, no one thinks of money. It's just access to credit. And I guess my beef with that is this, that you can't save money anymore. You can't save money for big projects or innovation because if you try to save money and form capital, the money loses value too quickly that you can't make a five-year bet on some business because by the time your capital gets to year five from your savings at the beginning, it's not worth nearly as much. So all you then can do is go and access credit. And in the banking world that we live in, the easiest access to credit is real estate. So then you borrow to get real estate, you get leverage. If you go to a bank and ask for money for your new business venture, it's much harder. I don't care what anybody says, we've been through this. It's much harder than getting um, a loan or financing on a real estate property and you get leverage and you get better rates. So the, the banks trip over themselves to lend against real estate. They don't necessarily trip over themselves to give you money to start or fund your new business. So I think the lack of investment in innovation, technology, new business in this country is a second order effect of the money itself. And it's creating structural problems in the economy. And all people argue about is that we should have more investment in business here. But it's like, how are we ever going to get it unless you fix the money? Sorry, my uh, maybe I'm launching off to it and to no, I I think you're uh, I think it's all 100% accurate. I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, um, are we oversimplifying it? I guess that's what's running through my head because everything you're saying makes perfect sense, and everything that other people are saying makes logical sense as well. Like, you know. For our economy to be strong and to grow, we it would be much better if we had innovation and business development and, and manufacturing and we created goods and you know it's much better. But you're right. I think because the the the, the financial rewards are so messed up right now that there's there and because of everything you said that there's no incentive to do that or there's not enough incentive versus the other options. And yeah, and, and it's, I, I, it's, it's always amazing to me that it's not spoken about a little bit more. Let me give you a kind of, and I, I think part of the reason is, is maybe it's not happening fast enough yet and people aren't, so people can't see it yet for some oh, for sure. I don't know. For sure. But uh, Noha came to me yesterday and she was talking to me about uh, Egypt and she said that she knows some people in Egypt looking to get married and they're looking to get married in the fall and you know they're starting to buy things I guess they're moving in together or something like that so they're looking to buying furniture and things like that and they're panicking because they don't know if they because of where inflation is in Egypt right now they don't know if they'll be able to afford the things that they want to buy in the fall so they're trying to buy them now and I don't know if they can't 
Uh, yeah, this have, is exactly uh, my point. Yeah. So I don't know if they don't have some place to put them or whatever, but they're worried that they might not be able to. So they're, they're, they're actually looking at pulling up the wedding. And this isn't like two years from now. This is months from now. And they're pu- looking at pulling up the wedding so they can get married sooner then they can buy all the things they need. And then they can move forward from that point because they're afraid they won't be able to afford them because the prices are moving so fast. And I think when, you know, people like when you're in that situation, it's just very, maybe it's more clear to you. I don't know, because it's just like, wow, this is impacting my day to day. Like really, like I have to figure out how I'm going to buy the goods that I need because the prices are escalating so much. Whereas maybe we're not at that level yet. I think even then people won't do anything about it. Like I'm sure if you talk to some of those people, their biggest problem is do we move the wedding up or not? They're not thinking, how do I get out of the system? Unfortunately. I, I think the majority well, of people life, just get probably stuck. just thinking about how do I make it to the next stage of life? Yeah. Like get, like how do I get, pay for the wedding? How do I get through get the, the wedding? Furniture, right? yeah. yeah. So you're just kind of trapped in this system. You know, when you're bringing up Egypt and you're just thinking of like big, big projects and different things, think of the architecture that's throughout Europe. Why do we no longer see beautiful architecture, especially in North America that basically wasn't on? No, but if you think of it, it comes to the same principle. Because if I was gonna build a cathedral that took me 20 years to build, how would I do that today? Because in the past, if I could store up and I'm going to just use something that everyone can relate to gold coins, and I know those gold coins are going to hold their value and I can store up those gold coins and deploy them over 25 years. And I know the purchasing power of those gold coins is, is going to maintain its purchasing power over 25 years. Well, I can then form a capital base and deploy it over 25 years to build beautiful things. But in today's world, how do you build a cathedral that would take 25 years? Because even if you got the financing approved today for your beautiful cathedral that took you 25 years to build, the money that you get today doesn't cover the cost at year 15, 16, 17, 18 to build. So then you have to try to get financing incrementally through this 25 year project that you want to build this beautiful cathedral. And you're dealt with the financing that is a horror show to go to the banks year after year after year over 25 years because you cannot take the dollars in the form they are now that you need all up front. They lose value. So when you look around and you go through Europe and you think, why don't we build beautiful things anymore? To me, it's also a problem of the money. And I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous, but it just seems obvious to me. Like this is why we don't have great things because we're kind of in a throwaway culture. And it's why buildings are built the way they are right now. Yeah, and it's the one thing that gets me about when people look at real estate prices and, you know, because so many people are just so focused on the sticker price of, of, of real estate properties. And, and I get it. I mean, we've, we've totally overshot because of easy money and they flooded the money with the system and over exuberance and and stuff like, like we overshot even the, even the, the increasingly, um, uh, you know, the faster and faster appreciation numbers that we're seeing year over year. Uh, and because of the money, money growth or the devaluing of the dollar, like you're talking about. And, it's you know and everyone just looks at the final sticker price and and so often what i feel is lost are the input costs and when you look to exactly to your point because if all if the costs of everything are going up because of the system then there's got to be this floor underneath real estate prices or there's not the floor and they and they they plummet but then no one's going to be building any new properties because there's no incentive for them to do it so and and if you look at that it's like okay so like 
you know, look at the labor costs. Like, do we think that labor costs are going to come down for construction workers? Well, there's a shortage of workers. So the likelihood of the labor costs coming down, and especially in the way our system structure and stuff, well, I don't know, that doesn't seem very likely. Then there's the actual hard costs of land and material and things like that. Well, do we think those costs are going to be come down meaningfully in any meaningful way over long term? Well, I don't know. I don't think anyone can look at what's been going on for the last 50, 60, 100 years and be like, oh, yeah, there's, I really think that's going to happen. So that, you know, that seems unlikely. Uh, government taxes take up the, the biggest amount. There was, well, who just released this report? It was the Canadian Center for Economic Analysis. They just came up and said that the government taxes, and this is taxed on everything. <clears throat> It's taxed on the final purchase price, it's taxed on materials, taxed on labors, but they say the total cost of the average new home constructed in Ontario is 31% government taxes, 31%. Do we think government taxes are going to get lower? Well, no, like we know they need money, so I don't think anyone's thinking that. So if we're looking at all these things based on what you're saying, that the system's all this messed up, and then we, if we revert it back to real estate just for a second, and we're looking, because the system's messed up and all these input costs are very unlikely to kind of come down in any meaningful way well then why do we think that real estate's so overpriced or why do some people like look at this and say this is ridiculous these prices don't make any sense i'm not saying the prices are right i'm, I'm not saying that but the, but when you look at the way that the systems are structured the the prices actually do make sense they're just wrong and they're wrong because of the way this the, the system structured to your point is because we're devaluing everything so that, that, that the actual the actual front facing consumer price is less meaningful almost than it ever was because it's changing more rapidly than ever. Yeah, I, I think it's something that Jeff Booth says a lot where you can't see this, the problems of the system when you're in the system. So for example, you know, to your example about the real estate price and how basically it's just wrong, but can they really come down because of, of the way the system is created? Well, they, or, I, they, or they can't, sorry, so, uh, let me just interrupt, or they can, and then but we won't be producing anything because the margins are about 10%, depending on the project, they're 10%. You get the margins yeah, too tight. What developer is going to put risk buying the land, doing the development, all that type of stuff, right? So I, I want, yeah, I, no, should no. I should have made that clear no, before. No, for sure. And they but can, look, look, prices over the last 10 months have come down. You increase the price of, of dollars and they can come down for a little bit, but can they go down much further? Where do they stay? I yeah, think that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's your point. But what I was telling someone the other day, this person really into Rolexes. And I don't know anything about Rolexes, but I know they're expensive and they seem to hold some value or whatever. So I'm like, okay, think about real estate this way. If 10 years ago, it took you 10 Rolexes to buy your dream home, how many Rolexes does it take today? And they're kind of doing the math and it's like, oh, pretty much kind of the same. It's like, maybe it'll take, because my tastes have changed. I want a little bit more of a dream house than I thought I wanted 10 years ago. Maybe it's, you know, like a little bit higher. Maybe it's like 11 or 12 Rolexes or something like that. There's expensive Rolexes. Did you know the price of these Rolexes, by the way? I think the cheapest one's like 15, 20 grand. Yeah. It? Well, somebody's showing me the other day there's one for $65,000. Yeah, I believe it. I, I know nothing about I guess, those. And there's, that, that's not like, a, there's, there's higher ones. Anyway, um, they said, yeah, it's, it's kind of like the home I was thinking about then. It's kind of the same home that I'm thinking about now in Rolex terms. And I'm like, exactly. So has the price of the real estate really changed? No. It's the value of the dollars that you are measuring the real estate against that has changed. Well, the, the best example I've, I've heard from you was our parents' house. 
and you wrote about that one recently in like a weekly newsletter. That was the more what, when you put the dollars in front of the house. Well, yeah, like yeah. stack up. Like they bought it for what was it, eighty-seven or ninety-seven? Not yeah, ninety something thousand. So yeah. 90, 90 something thousand dollars. So you stack up those 90, 90 something thousand dollars on the front lawn, and that was now forty-five years ago. Yeah, so I think it was like seventy-six or seventy-seven or something like that. So, something like that. So yeah, so roughly some something like that, and then. So those $96,000 you leave on the front lawn you got, and you still, well, they wouldn't last there long. But anyways, let's say you they did. sat on the lawn. Yeah. And then the house now is still there. The house is probably worth, I, we just saw one on the street. Looks like it's close to what, 2 million, but it's more updated, you know, so call it, I don't know, one and a half million. I don't know, just p- pick a random number. So it's worth one and a half million dollars. What changed the dollars on the front lawn or the house? Cause the house hasn't changed. Right, the house hasn't changed at all, but that pile of dollars takes more more of those dollars to buy the same house. Yeah, you need a much bigger pile. I think that's the better way to frame it. Yeah, it's the best example because uh, it's a good visual. And I think it's be, when people talk about like the value of the house went up, it just sort of implies in that sentence that the house has changed its value of some sort. Where it's like totally incorrect framing. It's that it costs more dollars, which are becoming pieces of shit <laughs> and becoming worth less and less and less to buy the same house. The really the value of the real estate hasn't changed. Like maybe you've renovated or something, but the real estate itself hasn't changed. It's the way you're denominating the price that has changed those dollars. That's why, yeah, I like I like that example as well. If anything, it, it, this is goes back to Jeff Jeff Booth's argument, which is when you when you listen to it and we've had multiple episodes, people can go listen to him, uh, you know, on, on our podcast or anywhere else or read his book. It, it's just great. But you know, I always try to play kind of devil's advocate a little bit, not, not to, to be an ass, but just for my own knowledge, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I got to trying to find the I weak gotta, part of the argument. I got to flip the other side. So I understand it fully. And you know, so to his point, because through technology, a building a house today should actually be easy, like should be cheaper than building a house back then because we have better tools and better systems and a better um, supply chain. You know, like like in theory, it should actually that ninety something thousand dollars on the front line should easily be able to buy the house because technology should bring the actual hard cost of of building that house should come down, but it hasn't. Because through because the the dollars are becoming so worthless that the the value has gone up. What's I guess we're saying the value's gone up fifteen times mm-hmm. in those forty forty mm-hmm. something years, right? Which is the truth. Or the the dollars on the front lawn, the pile of the the dollars has gone has gone fifteen times smaller if you look at it that way. And I think then it just this trickles into the economy and economic discussions that don't make any sense because I was just listening to a podcast. I think it was the All In podcast with these are a bunch of smart venture capitalists that kind of can sometimes say crazy things, but in general, they have interesting insights. And one of them was saying, I think they had Robert Kennedy Jr. on. I think it was during that episode. Maybe it was a different one. But anyway, they talked about like the GDP of an economy. It was Robert Kennedy Jr. And they were talking about energy and how they, they made a statement that was just kind of like not... It was just in passing. It didn't mean too much, but I found it very insightful because it was the way they were framing their own economy that to me is part of the problem. They said, well, well, Robert, we need more energy because we have to grow GDP. We have to grow the gross domestic product. 
Well, let's pause there for a second. Why, why do you have to grow the gross domestic product? Why can't you have a gross domestic product that goes down and still have everybody living a better and better life? And the reason that they need the gross domestic product to go up and up and up is because it's measured in these dollars that lose value every year. And the only, what that creates is a frame of reference that would, make, would suggest you need more and more and more of these dollars in the system to have a vibrant economy. So the GDP, everyone, and everyone takes it for granted, the GDP must go up. But let me ask you this. Let's say the value of the, the currency at play, the money at play, got stronger and stronger each year. Perhaps you can get a GDP that actually goes down, but each unit in that GDP measured in a better currency buys you more and more oil, buys you more and more house, buys you more and more clothing, more and more food, more and more land. I, I think that, personally, I feel that, point is hard to get across to a lot of people. Sure. And I, I, I think, agree. I agree. Yeah. And I, I, well, and I, I, and I was wondering why, because I'm like, why am I not buying into that? Like the first time I heard it way back, I'm like, I just, I don't really get that. And I think it was because I was so programmed into, into believing that if more is the only is way that that can happen, because I guess my whole life, that's what I've been programmed, you know, um, but but then when you realize it, you're like, well, again, if you bring in technology and the great example from from Jeff Booth again, he's like, look at the technology we have to extract energy. So oil, the cost per unit of oil should be cheaper, not more expensive, because the technology we have is far superior by multiples than it was in the past. So why is this <clears throat> the price still inflated? And it's because of you know the, the value of the dollar. So that's a good example that. If the GDP wasn't growing, but because we have superior technology and we have, if we had savings in a better unit of account, like you were talking about, then our energy costs without growth of the economy could actually become cheaper because our store, our store of value, whatever it is, will, could actually buy us more of that. Right. It's mind blowing. When I, when I got my head around that component of it, of like, oh my God, so like the things should get cheaper, no different than like. I mean, look at the, well, you're on a laptop, look at the price of laptops and, and things, you know, like your, your dollar buys more of that because the technology has made the power of those things come down. It's just cheaper and cheaper. So that's, that was just a big point that then I, when I kind of got my head around it and I started understanding that a little bit further or maybe deprogramming myself from the past, I was like, huh, why can't that happen? And the only reason that can happen is and I feel sometimes we're too simplistic because if it all comes back to this, no simplicity is good. It's a principle. No, I know, but I guess I have to. I have to then kind of reevaluate my, my argument to make sure I still believe it. If I'm like, does it always come back to this? Like, am I just being too simple in something? I'm not. I'm not missing. Am I missing something? And yeah, that's so. It just seems to be the same thing over and over again. And, then, and it goes into a lot of facets of society that people don't dive into, but it really does. If you, if you go deeper into this, it, it, it impacts 
you know. everything and the, de- the devaluation of the currency is getting faster and faster, which it needs to because as more and more debt comes into the system, you need more and more and more debt to pay for the, the existing debt. What was the debt growth you were talking about? Remember you saw it was like 8.1% over from what 19, period of time? From like 1919. It's like if you annualize the growth in debt, it's like 9.1. Was it 8.1? I thought it was 8.1. 8. 8. 8. I, I, I think it was, yeah, maybe 8.1 from like 1919. I should have kept that stat. That's a great stat. Yeah. that, that uh, Maybe I did keep it somewhere. Um, um, but that that's like that alone just tells you. So whatever the, the reported inflation number is, is one thing. But if they're growing the debt, which means they're gr- growing like there's more debt in the system, which means there's more money being put in the system. If that number is at that at that rate from from that point, then you need to overcome that number just to protect your power of your dollars. So you're 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 behind every year, almost ten percent. Yeah, because another way to say the same thing is that the debt's growing, so it's devaluing the, your currency yeah. units. At I that. didn't want to say it that way because I don't know the, the the like if the M two numbers change. You know, there's there's other yeah, things. Yeah, there's to nuance that. to yeah. all of this, but I think the basic fundamental thing is that the dollar in your pocket it's not even like a dollar it's like a debt receipt it's like a debt coupon it's like a it's like a printout of debt it's because if you reverse engineer every dollar that's in Nick Karadza's pocket or in your checking account at one of the Canadian banks or that comes to you through income if you're on a payroll and comes to you through income if you reverse engineer where'd that dollar come from like let's take somebody who's working at a car dealership and they're in the service department and they get paid twice a week where, well, the dollar that hit their bank account, where did it come from? Well, it came from the dealership. Okay, where did the dealership get that dollar? Well, it got it from the customer who bought a car. Okay, where did the customer get the money to buy the car? Well, if they financed it, well, then it was new debt that was created at the origin of that. But let maybe, maybe they didn't finance it. Maybe they paid for it in quote unquote cash okay, where did that cash come from? Well, they worked somewhere and got paid. The customers of that business where they worked, where did they get the money? They likely got the money from some real estate that maybe they fi- refinanced and pulled the money. Like if you reverse engineer any That's sequence- It's all debt. It's all debt. It's all debt. So when anyone ever even says that they have savings, well, their savings is just an accumulation of dollars that I would rename to debt receipts. Yeah, it's like a printout of debt. It's like the, the $20 bill that we all have in our pocket right now, it's actually just like a printout of a piece of debt. It's someone's debt somewhere. It's someone's debt somewhere. And it's kind of like, it kind of blows your mind when you think of it that way. And then people walk around and on Twitter or in the media and they're like, well, I don't understand why people can't get ahead. Or it's like the boomers fault. It's the Gen X and some millennials hate this. And it's like, well, you live in a system that if you can't outpace the creation of debt, you're screwed. Yeah. That's the one that really bugs me. Like the reason people can't, you know, when people are, can't get ahead or if you're in unfortunate circumstances and if someone works their ass off and they're saving, but because of the way the system's structured, they then can't achieve what they're after because the value of that asset, if it is an asset that they're after, continues to move faster than they're able to save. It's BS. Like it's, it's total Savers BS. are punished. And it keeps them behind. And then the asset owners, and this is okay. And then the asset owners are rewarded, right? So here's something else that, where I feel that an argument can be simplistic sometimes that, that I hear, and it's about um, it's about real estate, and um, 
someone in our office was having this discussion with someone else online. They were brave and they, they were going back and forth on Twitter on this. I'm like, why are you doing that? Just ignore that stuff. But anyways, and for them, they're just like, you just don't understand the reasons why I have this property that they were talking about. And the numbers on the property aren't, aren't that great. And the numbers on a lot of investment properties right now, depending on the strategy you're using, I mean, the cash flow super tight if it's there, you know, all sorts of stuff. But what they're after is asset ownership in their life. That's what they're after. Like, you know, and it's something that's like not ever even spoken about. But if you look back on, I guess, you know, in history, I'm just going back to Europe and I'm thinking of Italian families for some reason. I don't know, the Medici come to mind probably because mm-hmm. of just mm-hmm. watching on Netflix or whatever. But I'm just like, it's these asset owners over time that have this security blanket yeah. underneath them that changes their lives, their family's fortunes, that type of stuff. And I'm not saying that it's it's like right that so many people are being kept from it because of the system, but that's what people are that's what some people are after and and the the monthly cash flow number that's super tight or maybe it's negative right now in the short term but you know might go positive if, if rates change or if rents when when rents increase, you know, that type of thing. But they're just like that's, you know, they're not happy about that, but they're like I'm after it for this purpose and that's the primary purpose and I'm willing to deal with the secondary stuff to get me to my primary purpose and I, that's lost in the conversation totally like, people don't think about ownership of things anymore totally and it, it, it affects the economy because you know we both know a few people that are, are do you know fairly well in business if they were to sell their business and get you know seven figures, eight figures for the business, what's their immediate next concern? They're not thinking about, you know what? I'm gonna start a tech company in Canada and innovate around some amazing medical developments that with the combination of nanotechnology and the newest DNA research, we can really do wonderful things for people's health in this country and all around the world. And maybe Canada will have some patents for this and Canada will become like better off because this person did this. No, they sell their company they immediately have to play defense. Yeah, they're like, what the heck am I gonna do with the money? Exactly, like, oh my God, the money's gonna lose value tomorrow. What am I gonna do? I I have to play defense. What do they go do? They buy real estate. Then they're vilified as an investor. Oh my gosh, another investor's buying real estate. I can't believe it. Don't you know we have don't have a, enough housing in this country? But no, that's the wrong frame. They have been forced to, to play defense because of the system which devalues the currency at such a fast rate, they can't take the time to invest that in a new business that would create jobs. And you have the whole country and society then pointing fingers, politicians even who don't understand this, pointing fingers. And it's like you feel like you can scream from the top of the hills to say, hey, like the fundamental problem is at the base layer. Listen, if there is money between every single transaction in the economy and the money itself is, uh, is, is broken, you get structural problems in the economy because in between every goods and service or service purchase, it's, there's always this money. But now we have incorrect information between every transaction. Do you know how that distorts an economy? I love this example from, I think it's a guy on, 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 on Bitcoin Twitter, Luke Boy, Boys or Boils. He used this example, I loved it. He said, imagine there was an engineer who was gonna, had a blueprint that was you know working with an architect and they were engineering this beautiful new house that they were gonna build. And together they were using a unit of measure of like a meter 
But every day the unit of measure changed and the meter changed every, every day. It was slightly different measurement every day. Well, how do you freaking build a good house when the meter, because how do you talk to the contractors? How do you order material? How do you, how do you even measure on day three if, if it's a different measurement on day one? You can't build a fundamentally sound house when the unit of measure, the meter, is constantly changing. Well, what's going on with the dollar? The dollar, the unit of measure of many prices in the economy, of all prices in the economy, is constantly changing. How do you build a structurally sound economy when the unit of measure is constantly changing? You can't. It distorts the economy structurally. And it's cutting to the point that it's enough. And then when you have the Canadian... Bank of Canada come out and say, well, you know what? We're going to really do a lot of great things for you, wonderful people in this particular area of the world. We are going to come out with a, a Canadian digital currency. Have you seen the survey they just put out a couple of days ago? I refuse to look at it. I yeah, saw, and, saw, yeah. and the reason I, I think it's a joke too, and a lot of people are saying, hey, we all have to take the survey and stuff, but you, you, the survey is useless because the unit of measure is still going to be the Canadian dollar. If it's just in a digital format, nothing changes. Well, it's even worse, but yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, they can put a lot of controls around it and that kind of stuff. But I mean, it's like now there's going to be a big debate in Parliament, big debate with the Bank of Canada. What's the best implementation of this? But my point would be, how do we stop changing the unit of measure of the economy, the dollar, so it's not worth less all, in, all, all day over day? Okay, so then uh, just on the flip side of this, because you brought up Parliament and that type of stuff. So the... I told you I was a little grumpy, so... No, but just to, to resolve this, so deficit spending is obviously like a big problem, right? It just creates... The incentives just get so far out of whack, you know? And so... But how do you solve it, right? Because the argument for the ability to do this is that we need to... They need to borrow or create more money so that they can fund projects that will then benefit... Um, communities and things like that, mm -hmm. right? So, and I know, um, look, the government's just so far out of whack. Like, there's so much waste in the government. It's an absolute joke. You, you know, you could probably, you know, if you went in there and slashed, you could probably slash 30% of the workforce and really not see, and, and if you monitor the other workforce to make sure that they're, they're being productive, probably not see an interruption in any services across the country. <laughs> but, um, but uh, and 30% might be being, being generous. But, how do you so pretending that there isn't the waste you know how do you account for that because we there's got to be something there right we can't always sometimes there's not the money or i guess then we have to as a country save for yeah. things and then, you just hit it right yeah. there there's something called saving but it's never the, the, but the problem now is that everyone's so pro, so like i was talking how i was programmed mm -hmm. one way everyone's so programmed one way it seems to me impossible, like impossible. And I know, I, you know, there's never like a 0% chance, but there's like a 0.001% chance that anyone would ever get elected on a platform saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stop spending money on all these social programs because we don't have it. We're going to balance the budget. Yeah. And then when we need new Can't stuff, work. we're going to save and then... And then do that. Yeah. And if they didn't have the money because they didn't save, they would have to borrow. But guess what interest rate they would have to pay? A very high interest rate. Because if you couldn't just print the money, you're going to have to borrow to, uh, from other capital allocators, capital formation. And for them to depart with their money, they're gonna, you're going to have to pay a pretty high rate. So guess what that does? That rewards who? Savers. 
and you get a saving-based economy. And it makes sure you're efficient with the money that you have to borrow. It makes sure, and not only, it let's step aside from government for a second, it makes the businesses who would then borrow, they better create a good service or product because it's got to implement, it's got to come into the economy with such power and such value that you have to earn enough back to pay back the, the, the borrowing cost of the better unit of measure, which is a higher interest rate. So what does that do? It puts better quality goods and services into the economy. It fixes a lot. And to me, it's not being too simplistic. Of course, there's nuance and complexities behind the scenes here, but at the base level, the argument is very simple. And to your point about the government, I know what's gonna happen and I don't like it. Because if you look back at, to me, a great example of this is Bell. Look at what happened with landlines versus voice over IP. When landlines really were kind of humming still in the late 90s and Skype first came out, you know when Skype first came out? Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, you can like call, we can call Europe kind of over this thing. And like it, you know, kind of choppy, didn't really kind of work and everyone still had their landlines. But how much did it cost to call Europe? Cost a lot. Oh man. Like, remember every, remember our father still, used to get those discount cards? They still sell those like long distance cards where you put in the code. Yeah. Well, I've seen uh, recently because our dad was making a, a few calls to Europe on his cell phone, on the cell plan to call Europe still. I'm like, what? That's how much long distance still, it's like, it's yeah. still pricey. I'm like, that's how much long distance yeah, still costs that like much? WhatsApp or Signal yeah. or Telegram, do some other phone call. Yeah, to do it over data. So look what happened to these companies that were just land phone line companies. They lost all that business and they kind of were forced to change their business model to be internet service providers because everything went over data. And although a lot of those companies survived, some didn't. And the ones that did survive, their business model and what they sell is completely kind of different oh, yeah. than it well, was. How many people go to Bell for a, 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 a home phone or long distance? Yeah. It's always internet's primary thing. And even for people that get, a, a lot of people that get mobile phones, not just in, and then more so even in, in, in other parts of the world, they don't even care about it almost as a phone because they'll make all the calls on, like you said, WhatsApp or Telegram data. or whatever. It's all on the data network. So now look, that took like, you know, I guess it's, we're 2023, so it took like, tw it was a 20 year transition for really it to, to go, right? It started ramping up in the late 2000s, and then by 2010 it was really starting to go. But it took 20 years for really to that happen, but there was this movement from an old technology to a new technology. And that caused some disruption in an industry, and I'm sure they had major panic at some time until they reworked their businesses to like, holy shit, how are we gonna survive this? So now, do money. We're a fiat, debt-based system is clearly has a competitor. And that clear competitor used to be gold and it was a little kind of clunky, still offers some types of, of value for sure. But there's this Bitcoin thing that is now a global monetary network with an asset com combination. So you got a global network, but it also has this asset component to it, the Bitcoins themselves. Now you have this competitor to the technology of money. And as more and more people shift over to this thing, they're going to, it's just natural, it's just the economy, it's economics. More and more people are gonna figure this out. We're just at the early stages. It's kind of like data back in the year 2000. It's like many people didn't do it, but some early adopters did. It's the same thing with Bitcoin to me, the way I see it. And more and more people are gonna go over to it. The, the problem, unfortunately, with this is, is this takes a lot of a value away from what the governments do because the governments are based on the fiat system. And unlike a bell, which might be able to adapt 
and say, hey, we're going to change our business plan to like sell internet services and do these all these kind of wonderful things and do fiber and cable. Remember all this kind of stuff and sell you all these different things. The government is just going to freak out because they're not entrepreneurs. All they know is the printing press. So they're going to fight against it. And it's going to, so they're going to go through a sequence where their dollars are worth less and less because they have to print more and more, and they're going to fight the new technology. It's going to be, there's going to be, unfortunately, a nasty period, and it's going to test everyone. But to me, the market is going to decide, not the government. And it's also why when people are like, well, aren't you scared the government's going to like ban Bitcoin? I'm like, they're going to stop a global monetary network at this point. I'm like, "Ah, cats already out of the bag. They're going to fight to stop it. But they can't stop Bitcoin in Canada. China tried to ban the mining of it. It's like there's mining back in China. I don't know if it's government sanctioned or not. But like you're not going to stop this thing. You might choose not to participate at the government level. But there's this technology that's going to fight and it's going to get ugly because a lot of the value creation is going to go over there instead of in the fiat system, which the government controls. And that's kind of got what's got my attention. I'm like, holy shit, housing's in a bad spot. The GDP measured in fiat dollars has to go up and up and up. But you got this new technology that's forcing, I guess we're bringing up Jeff Booth again, this new technology that's forcing a deflationary or a cheaper price in things. It is going to get rather nasty. It doesn't really, and when I say that, it's like, I'm not personally scared of it really at all. I'm just like, damn, I can see it coming. I think it's important to, uh, you know, whether you're under the belief that, you know, this thing is going to come and and, and become, you know, a, a, a larger part of some sort of, you know, monetary, different monetary I guess play a different monetary role in different parts of the world, wherever the case may be, or you're not, I think it would be foolish to ignore it and not at least understand it. I think that's kind of at least where, where we oh, start. Because it got to a point where it's like, you've got to understand. It. It's like if you tried to ignore the internet, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you just said, yeah, I'm just going to ignore this internet thing. Like, it's going to go away. I think you're doing yourself a, dis- a disservice or you ignored the, you know, the mobile phone kind of revolution when the iPhone first came out and kind of basically put a computer in everyone's pocket. You know, you just fall, you fall behind. No different than right now if you're ignoring AI and those types of trends. Like, you should just, whether or not you're going to be a daily user of, of those things to understand what's going on and then determine what, if any, role it's going to have in your life, I think that's super important. I mean, it's just going to, you know, the tech, different technology is going to play just a larger part in everyone's lives. And unfortunately, I think there's going to be, just like there was people who used landlines forever and never really kind of go, go over to data. It could be an age thing, a comfort thing. I think it just catches a huge percentage of the population off guard, but then almost one day everyone looks around and it's over. The thing that got me on all this stuff is with technology creating deflationary movements in different industries. The only way to continue the GDP growth, like you were talking about, was to then create more and more money, which again was then more and more debt. And as the technology cycles picked up, the debt cycle, the debt growth had to increase with it, which is what we've seen over the last uh, other factors too, right? But is what we've seen, you know, when we, when we charted out, um, 
what did we chart out? We charted out the average, I think it was Toronto real estate price. And we kind of mapped it against... M2. Yeah, we mapped it against the mon- you know supply of money. And you could see there was kind of about four, there was more, but at a larger trend, there was about four distinct segments where you could see that M2 growth kind of picked up and then the, you know, the quote unquote price of the real estate changed at, at that speed. And then it got a little bit faster speed in money growth and the real estate kept up and, it, and so on and so forth. And it happened this, you know, four times for those four segments. And it was just really insightful to see those put together. And it wasn't a straight line. It was up, down and, you know, but, but over a period of time, it was, the trend was very clear and, um, that's what's happening really across the board. And it's just like, and here's well, another, how does that continue? Maybe because I'm grumpy today. Here's another beef I have that with that. Cause a lot of economists will argue who do kind of understand what's going on. They will argue and say, well, the growth of M2 is devaluing the currency units. Therefore the price of real estate measured in those dollars or price in those dollars is going up and up and up. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I fully buy that because it's the actual system itself which forces people to buy real estate, which then creates new loans, which then is creating new M2. So it's actually the 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 impact of a system that is forcing people to play defensive and get into real estate that is actually increasing our money supply. It's kind of like a chicken and egg thing that I'd yeah. like, and I don't know the answer to it, but when I hear some people just dismiss it as like, oh, well, like M2 went up. So of course, dollar prices of homes went up. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know if it's that simple. I think it's the system. We're just, and now we're arguing, we're splitting hairs here, but now I'm like, isn't it a system that just forces people to borrow more? Well, I but think whatever. It is, because the numbers, you, the numbers you're talking about, I mean, look, does real estate play a big role? Yes, it does play a big role, but there's far more than money just real estate money just, than just the real estate. That's too. fair. You know, fair. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fair. I sh- we should spend some time kind of numbers. breaking that down in Canada. Who knows what it is? Maybe it's like all real estate and new money, <laughs> but, but yes, in Canada, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. Canada maybe, yeah. but yeah, we don't have much other industry. We don't want to invest in our energy. So why would we do something like that? That's a terrible idea. And then, and then I can't believe this all started from some, some tweet that I saw and then we're just still talking about the subject, but just think about this. Think of society that has older people who are now, like I know some people who are retired that, you know, are basically kind of coupon clipping. They're looking for sales at the grocery stores. They're trying to. Yeah, because they need their money to go further. Yeah, they need their money to go further. And that's not really a nice way for our older generations to live. Can you imagine we had a savings technology that went up in value over time? So as when people got older, they actually, the savings that they were able to accumulate because of the value they offered society, the sa- those savings. Let's not even say up because that's like almost an extreme case. Well, the purchasing so power. Say, yeah, but let's just say it held it. Yeah. So the purchasing power of their savings held. Well, because you could plan. Sure. Then if you thought, okay, well, I need savings and you for could retire in years, peace. you could, you knew plan. the number. Yeah. Right. So we can't even have an older generation. Now think of all the wisdom that's in that older generation that doesn't get passed on to a younger generation because so much of the older generation is literally just scrounging for some basics of survival. Look, it's so sad in our, in our parents' generation. Like I know many people who are in their eighties now basically struggling to make payments in the nursing home or the old age home that they're in. And they're worried about that money running out and what a way, like, so you work your whole life, you accumulate some savings, but then at the end, you're just in this panic situation and the family is is left to help out, which is great. Like, I'm not saying the family shouldn't. Of course the family should. It's family. 
But I mean, what a situation we've created here. Well, look, if you if you retire at call it 65 and, you know, you're and you, you have 20 years then to live. What what how much savings do you need? And like, you know, if you have five, call it a million dollars. Well, that million dollars divided by 20, that's fifty thousand dollars a year. Okay, not maybe not too. I mean, at one at one point, it really wasn't too bad. Now, you know, these days, it's a lot harder to get by fifty thousand. But anyways, they call it fifty thousand because there's not as much debt. Things are paid off. But twenty years from now, what's that fifty thousand going to going to buy you? Yeah, right. Well, like, and and twenty years ago, what are the fifty thousand? I mean, our father used to bring home what was it, his pay, was his paycheck a thousand dollars a week. Yeah, he was so proud of that. And it was for yeah. a drywaller. That was a, he, the, the legend goes <laughs> that he was the highest paid drywaller in Toronto for, for that era. Right. Yeah. And that, so it was a huge income. But there was there was like that, that like, yeah, that that salary of fifty two thousand mm-hmm. that bought a lot of stuff. Family mm-hmm. of four house, mm-hmm. cars, mm-hmm. vacations. Like, you know, now I'm talking maybe maybe that's 30 years ago, 35 to 40, even 40 years ago. But even 20 years ago, that a salary of $1,000 a week is a lot different than what the salary of $1,000 a week is today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to try. And, yes. Agreed. I'm going to try and do something wild and share my desktop. I don't think we've ever done this, but hold on. Hold on. Oh, you're advanced. Okay, I think I've done it. It's not the best uh, chart share. I should make that bigger, but it's my first time sharing my desktop in, in here during a podcast. And if you're listening to this, I'm just going to describe it. What I've put up, and this is part of the reason why I think things get ugly, is that what I've put up a chart that Luke Roman shared in one of his newsletters that I think is like super insightful. And I'll try to describe the chart in case you're just listening to this. There's a blue line on the chart, which is U.S. deficits. And the U.S. deficits kind of just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the, and the line of the, the blue line that represents the U.S. deficits just kind of goes down and down, indicating they get bigger and bigger. And there's an inverted red line. Nick, is that red? That is red, right? Yep. I think it's red. It's an inverted red line. And the inverted red line is the demand for U.S. treasuries or U.S. debt by foreign entities, so international and foreign buyers. And it's inverted, so it's going up. And because it's in, inverted, it going up is signaling that there's less and less demand very recently for U.S. debt. And where this gets interesting is the blue line. What Luke did there is really kind of interesting to me is that he said, hey, you know, with the the debt, the deficits that the U.S. is going to run this year are going to increase further. So this blue line is about to go sharp down again. And then he layered on a conversation where he did this extra dotted line that is like off the screen because it goes down so low. But he was trying to signal there that with A.I., removing jobs from the economy over the next 12 months, two years, three years, that the tax base that the U.S. government is likely going to pull in as less employees are in the economy because of AI developments is going to make the deficits get larger and larger and larger at a pretty rapid pace. So then if you have the deficit increasing at a larger pace and then the demand from foreign investment decreasing on this chart because of inflation, why would you buy a 10-year piece of debt or a 30-year piece of debt when you're paid back? What's the purchasing power of that? So if this demand goes further and further away, and he's mentioning things like the BRICS and countries like even like Brazil talking about the need for the US dollar less and less, and this might be on the fringes right now, but things do seem like they're accelerating. If this gap for US debt um, goes away, and the deficits increase, how much money printing do you need to fill in this gap to make things work? 
you need a heck of a lot of money printing. And I know if you're not looking at our screens right now, just know that it, it the, the technical term for this is a shitload. Yeah. And by the gaps, it would be multiples of what we saw during that COVID period, which is, and you saw the impact that had over the couple, couple year period globally. Yeah. It's actually multiple. Everything up. Yeah. Right. So, so this is why I'm saying that we're on this path and I don't like what, what I'm seeing, because if you're not preparing yourself for this technology is advancing rather quickly, I don't think this is something anymore that's out like in our lifetime. You don't want people to like, Hey, is there a transition? I think it's like, we see some kind of big developments here in the next 10 years. Like AI is coming in strong now. Technology doesn't grow at a linear pace. It grows exponentially. So if technology is going to really impact the job market, it's going to do it pretty exponentially. I think things get wild sooner than later. And I think if you're one of the few who understand some of these things, you can buy the assets there. You buy your fine pieces of art, your gold coins, your Rolexes, your rental properties, your Bitcoin, whatever it is. But to me, now's the time to step out of the sun. It's almost like when you see a storm coming or like an avalanche of destruction coming and you can just take one step to the right, like one little bit if you're on the edge of it and you totally miss it. I just feel like this is your time to totally miss what's coming. So anyway, we've harped on, we've harped on about this. For what? 48 minutes. Well, no, I was just going to say about technology. It's clear what it's, I mean, the impact's just enormous. Like, like look what it's done to retail. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just, it's not, it's night and day. You know, even the, even the retail, you know, where there are stores. There is a personalist McDonald's apparently. Yeah. But I mean, just like even where there are stores, the stores have turned more into showrooms. And a lot of times they'll just order the thing for you and you can get it delivered to your house. You know, and that's not like an electronic store. That's clothing stores. I know you can, you know, like you can go to the Nike store, Lululemon, and they'll be like, oh, sorry, we don't have that size, but we'll just order it for you and then it'll just arrive. You know, so they're just showrooms for that type of stuff. I was at the mall the other day, which I typically avoid. I'm not a big shopping mall person at all. We were in Zara to check out. You literally just put your clothes, they put the clothes into this a bin and it automatically scans them all. I guess there's oh, RFID, like RFID tags. RFID. Right, wow. you put it in the bin. The whole thing comes up. You pay. You take them out of a bin. No, put them in the bag, and that's it. That's it. I was confused at first because I'm like, no, this isn't our order. This is the leftover one. And the lady's like, no, it just automatically scans it. I was like, oh. I felt like the old guy. Holy I was the old guy in line. I'm like, oh, that's how it works. I was like, oh my gosh. So yeah, that's how it worked. Yeah. So you literally. So like, but how soon? I mean, I know Amazon's already doing this. How soon before you just walk into the store, grab, you scan whatever you scan, your phone, your fingerprint, your iris, who knows, right? And they're like, oh, okay, that's you. Then you go in the store, grab whatever you need, and then you walk out, automatically builds your account. Like Amazon has that already, right? Well, well, here, look. Yeah. Robots taking away jobs. McDonald's opens first restaurant without employees in the U.S. The McDonald's outlet in the white settlement a suburb of fort worth in texas is in oh my god that's the subtitle this mcdonald's outlet is in a white settlement a suburb of fort worth in texas it's weird how weird is that but uh it has no employees yeah this mcdonald's has no employees 
I guess somebody must go in the back, I guess, stock supply somewhere. So there, what is there? Is just a delivery guy? There's I no guess? full-time employees. No, and the they just there. plug stuff in and the burgers come no out. Idea. But if that's McDonald's, which I would think like to flip over the fries and flip over the burger and put the ketchup has always been like a human-based last kind of mile to the serving of that sandwich. What happens to all assembly plants with robotics? Like I, somebody said something interesting that I was reading. It was basically like, hey, AI and robotics combined, they're as stupid now as they will ever be yeah because they're lying it's they're only getting smarter and smarter and smarter and then if you incorporate those in the last jobs that are in like some factories the human error now just completely goes away because with ai and robotics married together they're just never going to make mistakes now they might make mistakes if the human i guess who set them up i'm not trying to say they're it's an infallible thing it's just that this stuff's going to get wild a mcdonald's with no employees Actually, now that I'm thinking of that, as a business owner, can you imagine having a, a retail business and not manage employees? I'm sure a lot of people would be... Dream of it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. We're we're excited about our own destruction. Holy shit. Human well, nature is going to take us down. Well, think. I mean, I've talked to some restaurant owners, just their, their staff turnover and getting people to show up for shifts and all that type of stuff. I mean, they're probably their biggest headache. Yeah. is is there is there staff issues yeah right so yeah it becomes more appealing for them if you reduce that for sure yeah it's good it's going to be interesting but ultimately you know and that's where the challenge is and what we've not we've this is where if we kind of circle back to where we started the i guess the you know where we've seen the challenges with the system here is is that the dollars are being devalued and then that devaluation of those dollars is going into assets and not going into incomes. And this is where the discrepancy lies. And that's the root of a lot of problems that we're breaking seeing. the social fabric. That's, that's really what it is because, because if you're, if you're devaluing the, the purchasing power of the dollar, okay, that's fine, but then it doesn't get split evenly. And the people that own the assets that hold their value because they're priced in is in those dollars, they're, able to keep up much easier than people that have the incomes because the incomes aren't be increasing at the same rate that the value of those incomes is decreasing. That's the challenge, right? And that's, you know, that's, that's to your point, to your grumpy point day, you know, day three of six for the week or whatever it is. This is, <laughs> this is, if I, if I lately constant grumpy, if you're grumpy, I think but, I'm just looking around and I think lately over the last week, I know people who've lost their jobs for weird, like almost political reasons, political correctness reasons. I've seen people who are in retirement really starting to worry about like how they're going to have enough to survive. I see younger people who are like, complaining about not getting into the real estate market and and I kind of think like almost rightfully slow so like I think you can make an argument like well should everybody buy a property maybe renting is okay and yeah it is okay I just mean if the reasons that these people can these younger generations cannot buy properties they are dictated by the government it's dictated by the monetary policy that the government kind of abuses that's what kind of pisses me off yeah. it's not like in principle should they buy or rent it's like yeah it's, if, if, it's, if, it's, if they want to rent then yeah yes, rent. rent but they should have a pathway to purchase if that is so choose. attainable. Yeah. Know? And so you just see it at all ends of the spectrum. And I, I guess to me, it feels like it's accelerating. You know, it was, it was funny. I was talking to Greg Foss there on Saturday and, you know, he said that he said something just kind of in passing. He's like, well, you know, things really seem like they're accelerating right now, don't they? And I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? I, I'm like, what, what do you mean? And he goes, well, we got banks now failing in the US. <laughs> and I mean, like, it's true. It's not just like, 
nothing. A decent we got, size one. Yeah, well, more bank, the asset value of the banks that have failed so far are more than all the banks that failed in the great financial crisis. I think the biggest one was Washington Mutual that was just a bank and not like an investment house or whatever, investment bank. Um, something else that I wanted to mention, Nick, just over the next few months that I think we're watching closely as we kind of maybe begin to wrap here is that um, there's a chart that um, I don't have the source for, but I'll just put it, maybe I'll put it on the screen really quickly. And that chart, hold on, I'll hold it up there for a second. I think that's gonna hold it on the screen. That chart um, just is showing global liquidity. So maybe global M2, I wish I had the source for this, but at the very bottom, it, it came ripping down over the last 12 months or so, and it's just turned, where global liquidity is turning up. And to me, this is, I think, Sorry, I think to me that's pretty interesting because I think it's a sign of what we see over the next 12 and... Didn't that bottom... Didn't that chart bottom a few months ago? It did, Right, yes. it was like November or something? Correct. And that lines up, if you look at where kind of the stock market... Stock market changed, that. price of Bitcoin changed. Even, let's face it, even real estate sentiment in this country seems to have changed. Uh, most of the people at the Rockstar team think around December, they started to get a feel, like people were like, you know, changing their thinking about it. But Canadian real estate, no matter what... Um, gets impacted by global liquidity. I know we have foreign buyer constraints in here and stuff. We're just seeing some stuff being reported how foreign buyers are still getting their money in here and buying properties. Oh, sure, yeah. So like Canada's real estate market is so small relative to global M2 that if global M2 kind of picks up, it's likely in some way, shape or form going to pick up because if you have family in a country in South America or in Europe or in Asia, wherever maybe some M2 is picking up and you have legal status here, well, if your family transfer you the money over here and you buy a property that's a canadian buying a property that benefited from global m2 increasing yeah. and with the amount of immigration we have that's an easy path because there's a lot of people getting status so if they're it's a, they have it's legal a, status it's an easy path for it to come in yeah and it doesn't take like you said an enormous amount of it to really change things and when I you think, look at it from a global level it's yes. very 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 small on a global level and 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 if inflation does come cratering down as many are predicting and some of the latest data seems like it's cooling off and then rates as a, as a as an effect of that come down in this country, we could be in setting up for some wild next to eighteen to twenty. The underlying issues haven't been fixed. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the problem still. Yeah, the alternative would be alternative case would be inflation doesn't come down, rates stay high, but inflation is ripping at like ten percent. You know, government measured whatever. It's the same problem. It's the same problem. Because then we go back to input costs, like we were talking yeah. about earlier. It's okay. the same problem. So asset prices ultimately end up benefiting from that over the medium and longer term. I think what throws most Canadians off is when they see things like assets like real estate come down in price. They don't realize that that can be possible for a kind of short term, but longer term, it's it affects things like the banking system because if property prices like if someone was just telling me they have a friend who was saying, oh, well, Canadian prices are going to come down at least another 40%. Do you know what that would do in Canada to the banks? The banks don't want a lot of underwater properties um, where the mortgage is higher than the price of the home. And I think the banks always get their way. I just can't see that happening in Canada, right for really wrong, uh, wrongly, because it would be great if property prices came down for many people. I just think the banks rule the day and they're just not going to let that happen. And, and one, of the re one of the ways they're not letting that happen right now is the longer amortizations where we see people send us screenshots of amortizations that are 42 and 68 years long which they're just getting so that their payments don't get any higher and the banks are letting that go. 
And it's not really publicly acknowledged, I don't think, is it? I don't really see that mentioned anywhere. No, I think they actually came out with and a said they were doing uh, with that. a report. Uh, didn't they? Like, I think uh, one. Of I the thought Offsea was going to come out and say at renewal they're going to decide if they're allowed to offer longer amortizations to people who have a higher rate at renewal. No, but the banks have di- have, have disclosed what percentage of their their. Yeah, you might be right. That's there. right. So I, I thought. That, I think I, think I did see been that. Open about yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Unless unless it was a third party. I'm always thinking on there's it. some sneaky bank action happening. Oh, there's there's definitely <laughs> sneaky bank action happened yeah yeah anyway anything else uh for today no 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 that's it for today grump out grump is over (laughs) not you me grump out later thanks nick hey everyone hopefully you enjoyed that episode and i wasn't uh too grumpy for you nick was there to balance us off um and uh if you are listening to this and you think you are you know think or you're considering about jumping into the real estate market and you wanna understand some of the things that we're looking at, how we work with investors, you can go to CanadianRealEstateTraining.com and sign up for the next introductory training class that we run here, where we go through all the different strategies, what we look at, some of the population data, some of the supply data that we look at, we share all of that, and we do stick around at the end to answer any questions that you may have. So you can get a spot for that and find out the date for the next one, they're about once a month or so, um, at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. That's Canadian Real Estate Training. Dot com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms. <laughs>